Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the Plus Dave podcast. We are the Tottenham Hotspur theme show that's brought to you by a team of Spurs fans and a Leeds fan called Dave. I'm your host, Dags, and I am delighted to say that this week I am indeed joined by a full-on team of Spurs fans and a Leeds fan called Dave, because just like Big Ange Postacoglu, I have got the luxury of having a full-strength team back for the first time in a long time as I'm joined by Sox, Elio, and Dave, including one of our superstars returning from Africa in Elio. Elio, welcome back from your trip in South Africa. I hope you had a wonderful time over there. How you doing? Yeah, absolutely amazing place. Anyone who has not been to Cape Town absolutely has to. Best place I've ever been. Every direction you just see something to get you out. It's beautiful. And fittingly, I'm quite well as a result. Not to say I didn't miss you guys very, very much, but probably worth it. And I'm really happy to be with you again, as I did have a little bit of FOMO in the last couple of episodes. Yeah, you have listened though, I'm assured, right? Yeah, yeah, I have listened. Yeah. Um, I, I have my thoughts on how things went without me. <laughs> of all the things that are going to surprise me in this episode, that one is low down on the list, but we'll come back to that, I mean, I'm sure. I, I turn my back for 10 seconds <laughs> and all of a sudden you're bringing in someone to talk about statistics and <laughs> you talk about transfers with spurious links that have absolutely no relevance to this season or next season even i mean hey, it was a slow week what the hell if, if you try that while i'm on here today you can kiss my full <laughs> this will be like when bentico came back after an acl injury and then immediately went off injured again and that was it <laughs> and he was like nope nope too soon no i wasn't ready for this anyway from cape town all the way up to sunny leeds we have dave live from leeds he is a londoner these days but i understand he has gone home back up north dave welcome back for another week how are you this week Yes, very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I feel like we're all relatively happy campers at the moment, aren't we? I mean, Spurs are where, yeah. where you guys want to be in the top four. Leeds are six games on the bounce. So, you know, it's all it's all happy days at the moment. Everyone seems very happy. Yeah. So I need to really, really try my best and put in a proper shift to wind you guys up if I can. <laughs> well, you better get start by wearing Wolves colours. For our listeners who can't see, Dave is in a Completely nice shade deliberate. of orange. Which, yeah, he insists is not deliberate, but yeah, I think we all know otherwise. You are correct, Dave. I do want us to be in the top four, but I'm not aiming for fourth, mate. Anyway, moving right on. Socks, <laughs> welcome back for another show. I'm not going to go down that road, don't worry. <laughs> who are you all happy to see return this week out of Elio, Sara and Basuma from Africa. <laughs> Sorry, Elio, but I picked, <laughs> I picked Pat, Sara and Basuma over you, I'm afraid. They have more of an influence on my mental well-being, I would argue. You're in the top three, Elio, and you're not second. Anyway, great to have you all back. And speaking of Africa, if the last couple of episodes weren't enough to get Elio to quit halfway through, this certainly absolutely will be. I took the liberty, Elio, while you were off in South Africa of putting together very quickly, just because I'm bored and I have no life, and this is what I do for fun, uh, I put together a very quick Spurs African 11, which I'm sure you'll be delighted to hear. I bet you can't wait for this. I bet everyone listening is on the edge of their seats. And I decided, just to make it a bit more interesting, because I wanted to try and get the best team I could possibly put together, uh, I decided to cheat, essentially and pick players who were not just African, who had represented African countries, but also some players who were eligible to represent African countries, but actually didn't, just to give this team a little bit more strength. Goalkeeper was a challenge, by virtue of the fact that we haven't had one. So that was a, that was a, bit, that was a challenging start, admittedly. That being said, we did have a young man in our youth setup called Rowan Williams, who has gone on to star for some teams in South Africa, including the Mamelodi Sundowns, and has 42 caps for South Africa, so he gets us started. I have a centre-back pairing of Bassong 
and the first non-African African, as it were, in the partly Moroccan French Eunice Kabul. And I've had Nabet, who was actually African. So and I had Nabet on the bench, which this is, this is where I'm going with this. I did not prioritise players who had actually represented African countries in this 11, as you will go on to see. However, I am open to switching I mean, some Nabet of them around. Nabet was a far better defender than Eunice Kabul throughout his career. Nabet achieved a hell of a lot but more than Eunice was he for us, though? Was he his for entire us? career. Well... If this I, is a Spurs I, I, 11... I already called out on this, and not just because I'm bitter that you've <laughs> destroyed the South African themed challenge Elio I had prepared for later. Don't worry, don't <laughs> oh, no. worry. Oh, God. No, don't worry. It's not going to go too deep into that. It was but anyway. Mabizella, <laughs> Stephen Pienaar, Bungani Kamalo. Do you know who Bungani Kamalo is? Well, Elio, you're just showing that you weren't listening because I asked this question at the beginning of a couple of episodes ago when you were first off in South Africa, actually. But anyway, back to the 11. Back to the 11. On the left, as much as I would love to include Des- Destiny Udogi, who of course was eligible for nah. Nigeria. I have gone for the one and only Ben Wasukoso, and Udogi can sit on the bench. Right back is the newly crowned champion of Africa, Serge Aurier from the Ivory Coast. Uh, and then at the base of my midfield, I have Victor Vanyama from Kenya. My midfield, and hear me out here because you might see one missing here, but I had to squeeze a few players in and shoehorn them on other positions, is made up of Yves Bissouma and a certain Belgian with Malian descent by the name of Moussa Sidi Yaya Dembele, who I have shoehorned into the team because I can. I've gone for a very narrow front three because I don't really have wingers. And I've decided to put Pat Matassar as a kind of inverted right-sided 10 in my team. On the left, I've gone for... This one's controversial because he obviously doesn't identify very strongly with his African heritage, but I put Deli Ali in because he is half Nigerian, I believe, could have represented Nigeria. And up front, I've gone with Emmanuel Adebayor with some very honourable mentions on the bench, and Elio, feel free to correct me and put them into the first team, of Freddie Canute, Mido, Adel Tarabd, Nabil Bentaleb, Kevin Prince Boateng, Didier Zakora, and of course the aforementioned Noradine Nabet. That is my Spurs African team. I think your bench is better than your starting <laughs> eleven. to be honest. <laughs> I mean, there are some Africans on that bench. It certainly is more African, <laughs> in, I'll give in, you in that. More, in more than <laughs> one that's way. Adebayo or ahead of Canute? Adebayo yeah, or Canute, that's, that's, that's controversial. That's head mental. That is absolutely head mental. I am that willing is, to be that is like choo- That is like choosing Andy Booth over Harry Kane. <laughs> <laughs> it's Jar Jar over 3PO. <laughs> you know what? Your reaction to this, all of you, is exactly what I was expecting. So thank you for not letting me down. It's like choosing socks over <laughs> well, I don't know about that. Anyway, for my own sake, I'm going to move this swiftly along to what we're actually here to talk about, and that is Spurs in the current day and our recent games and upcoming games. We have just had a well-needed win, courtesy of a last-minute winner from Brennan Johnson against Brighton at home. 2-1 victory, uh, leaving us fourth in the table, as Dave rightly says. And we are going to look ahead to the Wolves game coming up next, which, of course, we all have PTSD about from the last time we played Wolves. More on that in a little bit. But first, back to the Brighton game. So, um, Eddie, I'm going to come to you first, as you are returning after a long layoff. Overall thoughts? Spurs Bryson. It was like a game of basketball, really, in terms of the lack of control from both sides. It was like having Harry Redknapp as manager, again, to say the truth. Some good passages of play, some exciting stuff, some really wide open spaces. This is even without gaping Hoybier and just generally <laughs> lottery football. But I think when you watch it back and when you kind of look at it retrospectively, we probably performed better than we felt we performed when the final whistle went. I think that it was a game that 
was punctuated by a lack of cohesion as much as anything else. And we were very good at getting into dangerous areas from which we have created and then scored goals consistently for the past couple of months. But Mm. that final pass, that final ball just wasn't there. No surprises when we created such an opening again with Son as the man responsible. We Mm. scored the winner right at the end. So overall, uh, not a good game for the heart, but a better game now than I thought it was when I was leaving at the final whistle. There's this meme that goes around quite a lot and you've probably all seen it. It's like a timeline of the game and it's like, oh boy, I'm so excited to watch my favourite team again. And then a massive stretch of, I'm going to kill myself. And then, oh cool, we won at the end. And that is a lot of Spurs games this season, I think. That kind of fell into that one a little bit, I think. Dave, I know we all have the tendency to either be too dramatic one way or the other when it comes to Spurs. Either we're trashing our team unnecessarily or we're getting overly hyped and carried away. Fairly close game in many ways. What's your assessment of it? Um, From what I saw, I think there was a lot of that kind of erratic, two erratic teams cancelling each other out throughout the game. And I think, you know, at one point, certainly at the start, of the game it seemed to be and I'm, I'm only basing on the highlights don't watch the whole game but it certainly seemed to be that the passing it out from the back really wasn't working for you guys and Brighton were all over you in the similar way that you were at times all over them but it was really working for Brighton at the start and obviously where their initial goal came from from the fact that they turned you over really high and then obviously it was a pretty clear foul for the penalty I don't know if you want to say that that wasn't a clear foul but uh, yeah, that's, we'll come to that. that's something we can talk about um, sure but is. yeah it was very much kind of uh, each other out but certainly at the start of the of the game I thought Brighton had the better of that and then kind of as the game went on I think and this is almost like the inverse of what I talked about the last time we talked because I watched the I was at the Palace game which was another Brighton away game and they were terrible for the first like 80 minutes and they deserved to be behind but then they kind of came out of their shell and really put pressure on Palace in the last 10 minutes got a point and to be honest Palace were hanging on for the win and it was mm. almost a complete inverse of that it was like an 80 minutes of well maybe a little bit less of a a really good performance. But then as this game went on, it felt like Spurs were maybe the more likely to score and find that winner. And that's testament to Spurs and, you know, and telling everybody to, you know, have the belief and keep trust the process. You know, we all love that phrase. Um, But, you know, keep keep moving forward and keep going forward and keep trying to win the ball and keep playing the way that we're doing. And, and ultimately this time it paid off and that's, that's good. I mean, there's every chance that it wouldn't have paid off. And then this Mm. would have been a really frustrating two points dropped. But in the end, you know, you can't get overly, emotional about wins a win's a win and you know it's against the Brighton team that although they aren't performing particularly well over the season they've got some players coming back I think they're probably in a bit of a false position I think they'll probably maybe climb up to eighth or maybe even seventh this season because they are a good outfit with a good manager and you beat them so well done you. yeah we sure did <laughs> so it did pay off it took its sweet time too and we took it until what the 95th minute or something to get the winner in the end but Sox would you say it was a deserved count for Spurs this time around yeah I mean I don't think we could have complained if it had finished as a draw but at the same time a win yep. doesn't really feel too much like a smash and grab like, it mm. wasn't really a game of too many high quality chances but we had most of the ball and looked the most threatening and I guess we're in that position whereby through sheer quality as much as anything else that we can brute force a lot of these games because our players are just better son can put in the ball or madison can play the initial cross or whatever it might be and it felt like that as opposed to you know elio touched upon our lack of control which is something we were speaking about last week against everton and this was that again but Mm. unlike the everton game it was us scoring the last minute winner so it wasn't an incredible performance but when you have good players and a good coach and you're at home it's enough to tip it over the edge i guess the not concerned but 
I don't know how many times we would have won this game. Had we replayed it another nine times, we could have five wins, five draws or whatever. So it's not something that yeah. I think is sustainable over a longer period of time. But we've also delved into why we think the lack of the control is, is happening in previous episodes. So I don't want to go too far into it. So it's something that will be fixed. But for the moment, it does feel a bit like a, a giant tug of war in all of our games where you know the opposition is going to get chances. I don't ever feel fully confident that we're going to be able to go through a game now where there aren't going to be decent periods where the opposition yeah. is going to keep trying to break the door down and sometimes yeah. we get away with it sometimes we don't and that's yeah. that really we need to score two or three every game to be safe basically is what you're saying pretty much uh, there were yeah. definitely some big spells in that game i think notably towards the end of the first half and for a big spell early on in the second half actually where i just thought there's no way we're not going to score surely we're going to score and it was that same old story of that last killer instinct that crucial pass through that little bit of magic to turn around but i think talking about the control and obviously the same old story in terms of the build-up i think in this instance we probably have to give a little bit of credit to bryson ellie i know you did a really good preview of the game for Vavo actually and i read through all of that so well done i was wondering what your thoughts were on how it actually played out in terms of the tactical battle because i mean if there's one thing we can say bryson do well it is generally playing out from the back and that's kind of what they're known for just sort of beating a press but i think they gave it back to us the other way quite well and they actually pressed kind of man to man really aggressively to the point where i can't work out if our players in our own third and build up were just a little bit off it or if Bryson actually just gave us a really hard time and made it difficult for us what do you think I think it was a combination of the two on the one hand you've got Bentoncourt Madison and Saar as a midfield three for the first time ever Bentoncourt and Madison played yeah. together from the start for what only the second or third time and both only sort of 60-70% fitness as well but that compounded with, as you just said, Brighton pretty much pressing man to man. It really did give us problems. It really made it difficult yeah. for us to play out from the back, which is obviously what led to Brighton's opener as well. And exactly. it yeah. really meant that players that maybe weren't quite at their very best were being shown for not being at their very best. And this wasn't an easy fixture if we're at full tilt, never mind while we're still sort of feeling a little bit disjointed and lacking a bit of cohesion. I think the proof in the pudding around that is that when Brighton's legs did begin to tire in the second half, we did then suddenly yeah. become more cohesive. Benton Core suddenly looked a bit more like Benton Core. Madison started getting a little bit more space. Richardson's touches were getting a bit better. And obviously that's what led to the winner as well. And yeah. overall, with that 5% extra space, because Brighton were pressing 5% less in the second half, we suddenly looked a lot more like ourselves. But yeah, Brighton sort of pressing man-to-man was really, really impressive. I, th- I think I'm right in thinking that for the first time ever, I saw a centre-forwards doing man-marking job on the left back. Uh, Danny Welbeck's <laughs> yeah, pro- was main everywhere. job that game yeah. was to man-mark Destiny Doggy. Wherever yeah. a doggy was, so was Danny mm. Welbeck. And that was a quite something and well we have a talented innovative coach they do too and Mm. it's sort of the beta of someone trying to figure out how to stop our inverted fullbacks so yeah it wasn't a terrible idea clearly because it nearly got bright in the point at the end of the day (laughs) what i would say is that if lusevsky's shot first half of his as he's stumbling goes in if Werner when he has all that space takes a couple extra touches in the box and takes the defence close to the goal instead of going for an early cross with no one to cross to if there's a few better decisions we may be talking Mm. about a slightly different theme here but because there was that lack of cohesion and because we weren't quite clicking 
the focus is obviously going to be on what Brighton did well to stop us, and mm. they did that man-to-man pressing very well. Billy Gilmore in particular, I'd say that between him and Madison, Billy Gilmore yeah. won the battle because Madison was very much, I think it's his worst performance for us, to tell you the truth, even though he wasn't sort of shocking yeah. by any means. But He's got he a just, high floor, hasn't he? So, yeah. Exactly, but he just wasn't getting the space and time to do anything. And then in return, mm. when Madison had to press Gilmore back, Gilmore was taking really nice touches and getting the ball spread out really, really well. So that was a big part because obviously Madison's our key creator as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you singled out Gilmore as somebody that was one to watch and he was probably one of their better players in that game as well. On the pressing, you mentioned Welbeck heading up towards Udogi. I think their centre-back was on Madison for the whole game as well. What was his name? Van Hecker. At one point, did you see he fouled him on the edge of our own box, which was absolutely wild that he was that far up. You think Romero's up high in the pitch pressing. Yeah, they were all over us. And I think watching it, I couldn't help but feel that our team from that first 10 games of the season, that hallowed time that we long for when we were actually unbeaten and looking really, really exciting. I think that Spurs would have not just beaten this Bryson team, but they would have done some real damage to them. I think if they'd committed that high up the pitch the way they were against us man for man, we would have played rings around them. But alas, we're we're not quite as smooth as we were. And like you say, a lot of players are come back from injury and refinding their form. And we'll talk about some of those players, some of those individuals. I'm sure you've already touched on Madison, obviously coming back from injuries, not quite at full strength yet. We'll come back to talk about some specific players in a little bit. And obviously feel free to jump back in with any kind of tactical observations. But should we walk through the goals now, since there are three of them? Should we get into those, Dave? You mentioned the penalty. But as you rightly said, first of all, it did come from that Brighton pressure. But I think it was actually Pascal Gross himself who scored the penalty, who actually closed down Benson Kerr and won the ball. Any doubts about the penalty? Clear pen? Clear for yeah. me. Yeah, I think, I think it, it, yeah, he got the man. Yeah. The ball, the ball didn't seem to be got. Yeah. Simple as, really. Was it a bad one, though? So, was it one of those kind of one that's given, given is never going to be turned over. And honestly, I think if it wasn't given, I think they'd have yeah. a look at it and, and he'd, he'd be out of a decision to make. I'm sure we were sat here last week talking about how Van der Ven hasn't made any mistakes and hasn't committed any fouls. We're, we're yeah, just a curse, fault. aren't we? We're such a curse. But yeah, I think that was an example of their press working and I think Benson Kerr is an interesting point of discussion to bring in here in general because look he's obviously not himself it's harsh to criticize him too much I was calling for his head after 20 minutes I think that was a little bit harsh I said bring him (laughs) off now bring him off I was being slightly hyperbolic but he did grow into the game a little bit towards the well towards half time really but he was one of a number of players that just didn't quite look themselves right he didn't but then for our equalizer which was right before he came off and right before Kulisewski who was the other player that he did suddenly well looked there. like yeah. himself for that equaliser. Mm. Benton Cole was brilliant. That was that was Benton Cole. That was the yeah. sheer determination. He got a bit of luck in the run. Completely composed. Bit of it luck, but the luck was created bit, by his own. Yeah. It's created by his own composure and his own determination. The fact that he kept control despite the ball was taking touches off their players. Like he rammed his way through, and then Van Klesevsky, who once again played the part of the match, really to put Sartre like. That was the old mental It was nice that he finished on that note because he probably needs a bit of confidence. And actually, I'm not convinced it was just fitness uh, against Brighton that let him down. I feel like we may have just seen a less confident Benton who was taking an extra thought to make his mind up about what he wanted to do with the ball at any given point when he received it. And for Mm. the player at the base of the midfield against a very sort of aggressive pressing side, not making decisions quickly about what you want to do to the ball will be a death knell as showed for the build-up to their penalty. 
I think that's spot on. And I think there's a, there's a graph that you could draw, which is at the start of the game with a high intensity and an uncertainty or a getting into the game, getting used to the game, where Bentancur essentially is going up as he's getting more confident in the football that needs to be played. And Brighton's graph is going down in terms <laughs> of the intensity and the tiredness of the team. And ultimately, there's a, there's a crossing over point, which is probably just before you need to take Bentancur off because he's shattered, which yeah. is essentially what happened. I feel like the Bournemouth game way earlier in the season was a bit like that. Do you remember? They were all over us and it was a bit worrying for the first half and then they just seemed to give it all and run out and they hadn't got them a lead and they'd run out of steam and we ended up getting a win in that one. I think both goals actually were probably more or less a direct result of Bryson pressing so high. It was that high risk, high reward kind of approach they took because Saar was able to sort of break into space where everyone had bombed forward and he'd managed to wriggle out and then obviously Kudusevsky played a lovely pass. Sos, what do you think of our equaliser? Yeah, it was one of the few well-work moves that we actually had. I think the two well-work moves we had both actually led to goals. goals. There weren't really too many, pretty much, yeah. I mean, there there weren't too many that we constructed that, that led to missed opportunities or everything, but it was a good move. I actually think it's a deceptively good finish. I know it looks like an open goal I but he was so. at a tight angle yeah actually both goals both goals were better than they looked I would say in terms of the finish they both look like tap-ins I'm not convinced that yeah. either of them are that nailed on to jump ahead yeah conversely I guess if they miss them we're both probably sat here oh, screaming absolutely. going how the hell is he missed that or whatever <laughs> but now that it's gone in it's Set easy him. to yeah. absolutely absolutely no striker in the championship would score any of those either of those goals let's put it that way not even, not even Patrick Bamford not even Bamber wow okay okay yeah I mean the fact that he took it with his left foot as well, and it was a bit of an angle, and he had to kind of adjust his body. I was, yeah. yeah, I was very happy with that. A little bit fortunate, to be fair, because Lewis Dunk did very well sliding back to try and stop it. It was a bit harsh on him, but we don't like Lewis Dunk, or do we, Elio? So who cares? 1-1, one, one, happy days, move on. <laughs> At this point, we made a few substitutions before we ended up going on to win it. Now, Sox, you raised a point about our subs when we were talking earlier. I had a point in terms of our, our play over the last few games and, and, and just substitutions in general, and it's something that's become a bit of a talking point on Twitter that I've noticed as well. You're not completely convinced by some of his changes, are you? I mean, it's two weeks in a row now where the substitutions have cost us control. I mean, it, in the Everton game, I was go as far as to say it probably cost us the three points. And uh, I mean, we scored and then there was, we made a triple sub. I can't remember exactly who came on now. And then for 15 minutes up until the stoppage time, we were basically getting bombarded left, right and centre. So mm. I don't know if this is like a monkey pool curl situation where we've all been desperate for all our players to get back fit. And now Andrew's misusing them. It, it's one of the few times, I'd say, if not the only time, where I'd say he's lost me a little bit because it's back-to-back weeks now in which whatever it is that he's doing is sort of disrupting the shape of the team and as a result of that, the flow of the match because yeah. you scored, we were supposed to be in the ascendancy and Brighton were going down the other end and you felt that if any team was going to nick it, it was them. I don't want to go too mm. overboard and too harsh on it because we talk about having a young team and things like this and allowing them the time and patience to make mistakes. I think the same has to be said of the manager because even though he's been doing it for 20 or 25 years, he's coming to a league that he isn't familiar with that will be a lot tougher than anything he's done before. So I don't mind him making these errors. But when something happens two weeks on the bounce, it feels mm. like it merits some kind of a discussion. So I haven't seen anything yet to make me think this is some sort of Achilles heel for Ange, but I do think we need to be a bit more liberal. I I think whenever you make a triple substitution, you're always going to run the risk of destabilizing it just a touch too much. And I think that's effectively what happened and we struggled to regain control from that point onwards. I want to make a point, but Elio has his hand up and I have the bad feeling he's about to make the same point, but I'm going to chance it and let Elio go first. He might not, because I think what I'm (laughs) going to say is probably not going to be popular opinion and definitely... um, 
Angel. Not by anything <laughs> I've researched particularly, but I think that there's an element of, and in this game, the Everton game, I completely agree with Sauce, in this mm. game, making the subs he made because he identified that actually it was worth sacrificing a little bit of control for the sake of having sort of quote-unquote match winners on the pitch, which Son and Brennan Johnson turned out to be because one thing Werner wasn't doing was getting that final product across. And one thing Kulisevsky is weaker at, as we know, is getting away from a defender when he's in behind. And with space opening up as Brighton got tired, as the game got more into end, there was always going to be more space in behind. So I think... Yeah, this Kulisevsky would not have been at the back post. He, exactly. So possibly <laughs> he was may well have identified that lack of control as worth it to have, like I said, the match winners on the pitch. And so it transpired to be. The other thing I'd say is, yes, a slight lack of control, but in Bissouma, who came on and actually tackled really well, apart from his first touch, which was a foul. Tackled really well, made a few blocks uh, right in front of where I was and mm. actually was probably our best midfielder of the match in the half hour he was on the pitch. I think that mitigated lack of control because you suddenly had the more energetic mobile shield in front of the defence to sort of make up for having a little bit less possession, a little bit less of the ball. So, yes, we did have a lack of control. And no, it's not really the most comfortable way to play football. But there may have been some method to the madness in this instance. Like I said, purely hypothesising, and there's no research I've done to back that up. <laughs> Top might tell me I'm talking a whole lot of shit. He may well. <laughs> Nonetheless, Elio, you will be unsurprised and pleased to hear that you have essentially you said exactly what I was going to say, but in a much more long-winded and detailed, flowery way. Uh, that you said a lot more than what I was going to say. Essentially, I was just going to make out the point that, yes, we brought on the guy who scored the winner, we brought on the guy who set up the winner, and in Basuma, a guy who I actually think was probably the best player in that half, like you said. So yeah, I am agreeing with you on, on that. Um, obviously, if you want the succinct picture. version, I think the succinct version would be calculated <laughs> risk. <laughs> yeah. But on the succinct version, I just ask Socks if we're going to win the league, and he gives me a succinct answer. Um, normally a four-letter word. Yeah, well, anyway, I, I wanted to talk about Basuma, actually, because, uh, again, I, I don't want to sound too reactionary on this, but personally... By the end of the game, I was thinking, if you ask me now who I want to start the next game in that, I want to say six position, but Ange just come out and said he doesn't believe in sixes and eights, so I'm going to try and follow his lead. But yeah, out of those two players, at the moment, I'd rather see Basuma based on what I saw at the end of that game. That's not me writing off Benzinkura and saying that he's finished and he's a fraud or anything like that. You know, He's obviously a very good player. Who would you rather see start the next game? It's a really hard one because based on performance... I know it depends on how fit Bentico no, no, is. Forget fitness for a second. Just based on sort of form and performance, Bentico has been rusty. He's clearly still feeling his way back in. And Basuma came on and played on very well. So based on that, you say you want to say Basuma. But mm. based on the fact that actually Basuma's impact was by coming off the bench against a slightly more tired midfield than Bentancur had been playing against, which for a player like him who's all about sort of bulldozing through the opposition is like mana from the gods. Based on that, maybe Basuma, and I'm not saying he's a bench player, by the way, because this is why we have a squad of very good players, but maybe Basuma off the bench right now does make a bit of sense because he's not exactly had great form this season. I think he's had some fitness issues recently with malaria as well. So... Mm. If he comes off the bench for half an hour against the team, whether we're winning, drawing or losing, 
there's a big impact he can have potentially. That said, the opposing answer is, well, if he's actually currently the best bet, why shouldn't he just start and Bentoncourt be the one that comes up against tired legs for different yeah. reasons? So who the f*** knows? But <laughs> my gut tells me Basuma off the bench is more impactful than Bentoncourt off the bench. But there's fine margins between the impact of either mm. of them starting at the moment. For me, neither of them look at their best. I think Basuma was very good, but he wasn't the Basuma we saw in the first nine, ten games. He wasn't taking people on and dribbling with the ball and doing tricks and things no. like he was before. He was good, and he was good more in the defensive sense than he was on the ball, but he didn't really make any mistakes on the ball either. But yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree. And um, for what it's worth, our Twitter followers also agree with the idea of Basuma starting the next game with a 78% margin in our vote. So uh, Spurs was a democracy see we might see Basuma start in the next game but we'd also probably see Brennan Johnson shipped off to another club so let's <laughs> let's go on to talk about him Dave talk to me about Brennan Johnson what a finish absolutely brilliant tap in at the back post Erling Haaland would be proud it's the kind of finish that you want a Premier League striker to be able to do 99 times out of 100 and the miss is a big deal uh, so the fact that you've got a young player who can finish like that with that confidence at such a critical time in the game, i.e. the last minute, is is great. And I think it also stresses the importance of your, I don't want to say talisman, because I don't think we use that word correctly in football, but your your <laughs> absolute key player, Son, coming back from the yeah. Asia Cup. You know, world-class players make the difference in the 96th minute, and that was an absolute glorious ball across the middle that um, yeah. that then all Johnson had to do was hit the target. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about how the finish was harder than it looks. I think that ball across was harder than it looks. He didn't have that much of a window to aim it at without getting in too close to the keeper. He absolutely that is, that is the, hit that to perfection. The cricket, the cricket equivalent would be the corridor of uncertainty, Dags, That's to give it. you a, a cricket term. I think um, it's, that it's the right wave. there in between the goalkeeper, too far away from the goalkeeper to come out, turning the defence round. Yeah. As long as you've got a striker there, it's a goal. There's a tweet here from Seb Stafford-Bloor, formerly of the TIFO podcast, who says, My greatest fear as a bad footballer would be the bouncing ball at the back post with the game on the line and everyone thinking it's an easy tap-in. Finish, Brennan Johnson. Yeah, I've, I've scored a couple of them before, so I understand. <laughs> yeah, if you say. Yeah. Would you have finished that? <laughs> Big time. Big time. I'd have sliced it into Rosette, I think. I'd have seen my name I'd have hit it back where it came from, yeah. straight across yeah? the keeper. Okay, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, Let's talk about Johnson, though. As much as I'd love to give him credit for stepping up at the crunch moment to win the game for us. And I also, I love his celebrations. I I love the fact that every time he scores now, he seems to hold a grudge. Elio, I feel like this is um, a man after your own heart. He seems to hold a grudge. He was mocking Mil Mope when he scored last time. And this time, he I don't know if you noticed, he did the same celebration that Joao Pedro did in our last game when they beat us, where he was holding up the score with his hands. He did the same thing, which I find it hard to believe is a coincidence. Um, But more importantly, perhaps, than his celebrations is his football. And... As much as I want to give him credit for the goal, I don't think he was particularly good. I know it's an ongoing, borderline tedious topic, but Elio, I want to get your thoughts on Johnson in general and obviously that position with Kulisevsky having started and not been quite his self. What do you think of the right-hand flank at the moment and those two players? So uh, one at a time, first Johnson, then the Johnson v. Kulisevsky question. On Johnson, I think earlier on this season when he was more confident, we were seeing a very, very exciting prospect. The way he could take the ball and the turn and spin players and burst away from them was fantastic. Mm. The quality of his runs was sight to behold and his pace was frightening. And what we saw when he came on yesterday was a player that has lost a bit of confidence at the moment. Hopefully a last-minute winner in those circumstances helped him get that back because it can just take one goal. But but yeah, I saw a player that was second-guessing himself, not charging away when he had opportunities to 
not making himself quite as available as I'd have wanted a fresh pair of legs to do when we were in possession. And that, I think, is just part and parcel of being a young player at a new club who's probably played a lot more than we have expected him to play at this stage. I mean, Brennan Johnson has played 18 matches in the Premier League now this season. I think he's started just over half of those and the rest have been bench appearances and he's got three goals and four assists so he's doing all right he's started his life at Tottenham really really well and we should be really excited but we should also temper our expectations for what he's going to do this season because he'll probably have a couple more games where he looks like a new low confidence kid and have a couple of games where he looks like a fearless, cocky, headstrong young Welshman mm. who mocks opponents in his celebrations. And both are fine. And <laughs> ultimately, so far, no concerns about Brennan Johnson. That wasn't really a great performance, but it was a last minute winner. On the topic mm. of who starts next time out, once again, similarly to Benton Core versus Basuma, mm. you think, well, Johnson came on and scored a goal, whereas Kulisevsky had another sort of slightly meandering match. He definitely looks like a player that's been run into the ground at the moment. He pretty much made a goal, so, though, to be fair so to him. He did, he did make a goal. an official but, assist, but I'd credit him with it. No, but he did, you're right. And no, with the pass of the match as well. So yeah. uh, maybe second pass of the match. Madison's to, to put Charleston through in the yes. first half was beautiful. Uh, I digress. Johnson got the last minute winner. So your gut says, reward him with a start next time. He's going to have confidence now. My gut tells me that like Basuma, his best role right now might be off the bench to impact a game against a team yeah. that have work their balls off for the first 60 minutes and there's nothing more frightening for a tired fullback than electric pace. So my gut tells me that that could be the key to him. And I still trust Kulisevsky more, even this slightly reduced version of Kulisevsky. I still trust him to help keep control of the game, to create chances and to pin an opposition team back more than I trust Johnson right now. So I I still feel that in a situation where these two guys, neither of them is really deserving of the first spot. Kulisevsky is the one I'd go with and have Johnson to come in if it's not quite working out. I mean, if you're winning, Johnson comes on to stretch the game and help scare off the opposition when they're trying to bombard you. If for losing yeah. or drawing, then you saw what he did yesterday. So there's benefits to bring him on off the bench in any circumstance. But to start right now, I still feel Decky is the one that gives us more of a game plan to begin with and because of the fact that we're out of all tournaments he's got a whole week to rest now before the next game as well he should be fit enough and he should be rested enough to be able to start again fact is we've got a big squad with a lot of depth now and there are very few combinations that would disappoint me so if it's johnson in great but my gut tells me the way that it happened against that's the right Brighton way around over the weekend was the yeah. right way around yeah hey Leo if it was up to you they'd both be in the team right you'd have Kulisevsky in midfield you'd have them both on the pitch if you were picking the team but that's another matter altogether you'll no doubt be <laughs> devastated that our new semi-regular stat man isn't on the show he couldn't make it today but he did send me a couple of stats and this one's quite interesting he points out that, as you rightly said in Johnson's 21 games in all competitions he has three goals and four assists a certain young South Korean in his first season when he joined us in roughly the same time frame only managed four goals and one assist and he has not done badly since so I think we should all keep that in mind in terms of having patience with Johnson. 
couple of other players worth mentioning, and obviously just shout them out. We always do this. We don't want to go through every single player, but I think Romero deserves a little bit of special praise. I thought in particular winning the ball up high and starting transitions, I thought he was really good to the point where it's almost boring because he does that every week. But anyone have any thoughts either on Romero or on any other players that we might not have mentioned? Obviously Romero. I was speaking with Sox after the match, and even though I don't think he had his best game, one thing I noticed Charleston doing, which feels like a new facet to his game, is he suddenly actually started dribbling like a Brazilian forward as well. Some of the ways <laughs> he takes it round a player and swivels a player first time yeah. where he'll use his right foot to go to the left, which is quite unusual, is, well, I'm loving him more and more at the moment every game. Yeah, it was just the finishing touch that wasn't there, which is ironic because that's been brilliant for the last few games. It was just, yeah, he wasn't taking his first time shots, was he? Like we've seen what I'm out for. Uh, Dave, are you ready to dust off the trophy cabinet? Because I've got another stat for you, courtesy of Statros. This is a good one, right? So Spurs are now in joint second place for the longest scoring streak in Premier League history. They've now scored in 36 consecutive games. Uh, They've got a way to go until they catch up with first place, who are sadly Arsenal, and no prizes for guessing that that was in 2001 to 2002. They scored from 55 consecutive games, so it'd be nice if we can catch them on that one. But anyway, Elio, I know you're devastated that you can't tear into him for that particular stat, but any words? We're happy with that stat. Do you accept it? I have, I have no, no word. Shock horror. Good attacking side keeps scoring goals. I mean... That's it. That's what I wanted. The passive-aggressive response was absolutely perfect. We want to talk about the Wolves game next. It's a game that, as I said earlier, invokes some shuddering memories and emotions. It was a game that has kind of lived rent-free in our heads ever since. I think we've brought it up at least once per podcast for the last three or four weeks as a reference for a game that we just absolutely struggled in and got beaten in midfield and absolutely dominated and were lucky to be in it until the last couple of minutes. Hopefully uh, enough time has passed that both teams are in a very different place now and we will have a bit more joy. Uh, at this point, I will go over to our chief opposition scout, Dave, with his bright orange hoodie on, who is, of course, completely impartial. What do you make of Wolverhampton Wanderers at the moment? And how do you see this game playing out? Um, mixed bag, I think mm. is the correct term Second for week running at the moment. for a mixed bag. Yeah, it's another mixed bag. Yeah. Uh, well, well, I was looking at the results and I think it's either a mixed bag or... Chelsea are crap. Or it could be I that both, both things be are true. true. Yeah, um, but, be true. Uh, but yeah, I really, I, I would never have called. I think it was a bit of a an acker buster that Wolves lost 2-0 at home to Brentford uh, mm. at the weekend. I didn't, didn't really see that coming because Wolves have, have been pretty decent all season, but we're not sure which Wolves you're going to get. But that said, regardless of who you're going to get, they do have some players that can really hurt you. I know, obviously, Sarabia has already peaked this season um, and that was against you <laughs> guys. never score a better um, goal. But I think, you know, they have other big strengths. The obvious one being Neto on the other mm. side of the pitch, who, who and, really does look like a, and they, a they proper have player. their South Korean back from the Asia Games as well, who is quite handy. Oh, Wang, yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he's, def- he's definitely good for a goal. So, yeah, I think even though they are bang mid-table and they are a bit of a mixed bag, I think it's the kind of game that if you did take a point, as long as the performance was of a decent level and it wasn't just, you know, a disappointing showing for Spurs, I think a point would be acceptable. Socks, I know you occasionally wake up screaming thinking about that Wolves game. We've talked about it a few times. Um, <laughs> how, how do we avoid a repeat of what happened? I, I'm talking about it like we got thumped. I mean, we lost 2-1, but we were, we were outplayed. I think you didn't was, deserve anything. We did though, not did deserve you? anything. 
I think that was the lowest point. Yeah. We, we all wrote Chelsea off as an anomaly, didn't we? And said, oh, that game was just a freak show and it, everything went wrong that could go wrong. We were just bad in the Wolves game and it was the first time we saw the cracks really in the Ange machine. So how do we avoid seeing the same thing again, Sox? I mean, that was the first game after Chelsea. So we had Emerson, Davis, yeah. Dyer, Hoiberg yeah. all in the same team. So that was the reason we were bad. It's a good we start bad. that we have a full strength team, yeah. Pretty much, yeah. That's how you eradicate it. I mean, I see it as very similar to this Brighton game in that I don't expect too much to change. We're against a team that also has a hell of a lot of threat going forward, even though we're better than them. Mm. I expect a similar kind of pinball, tug of war. Elio described it as basketball. I'm not sensing that it'll be anything different. I've mentioned before that I think one of the main reasons we lack control is because until Bentoncourt is fully fit, we don't have that kind of midfielder to keep it ticking over a a Modric Dembele type of player. So I'm not expecting too much in terms of, I don't think we're going to get hammered 4-0 equally. I don't think we're going to absolutely blow them away. I think it will be a similar game where it was like the beam that you mentioned earlier. We're all looking forward to it. 85 (laughs) minutes, we're hoping we die. And then fingers crossed. And then Johnson scores that same goal for the fifth time this season. That's a good point, actually. I think you mentioned it. He just scores that same goal every time which is which is fine um i saw somebody on twitter who was just you know one of these purple and gold negative misery merchants basically saying i don't care if he scores 400 back post tap-ins he's still rubbish and i couldn't help but think i'd be okay with him scoring 400 tap-ins to be <laughs> honest if i'm being i know he's hyperbolizing but yeah that was a little bit funny i know you touched upon it but i, I find the johnson rhetoric so yeah. like we've just gone through a season where richarlison for various reasons was absolute shite and is yeah. now coming in and, and we, we never learned okay, it's, it's only it's only nine games i mean people did it with vicario after 45 five minutes of a preseason Kudusevsky after, after like a 20, 20 minute minutes. cameo yeah it doesn't matter how it happened like mm. look Johnson may well turn out to be shit, but mm. surely like what's wrong with just giving him like a season <laughs> a season and a half I know you just touched upon it but you mentioned it again and it's just rattled me or whatever I just find it so irritating yeah. that every season we just seem to find one guy and it's like you in particular whatever it's like can we not just give him five minutes and if he's crap then he's crap fine but our recruitment has been so good the last two years like how many misses have we really had like brian hill is maybe the only one like can we not just give yeah. it a season for him to turn out to be okay and if he's not then fine we'll just replace him it's not a problem 50 million nowadays especially for the money that we generate which is more than chelsea more than arsenal not too far off liverpool for now the eighth richest club in the world yeah. 50 million is like you and i spending 20 quid on something I mean like we can we can fight it's not maybe 20 a bit quid more than all that, my money so. I've only got 20 it's, quid speak for yourself it's not, it's not the end of the world like it's not the end of the world at all yeah I think you'll find that most of the people that have escaped goats from the new signings every season yeah, and whether it's games. Emerson whether it's Son 10 years ago whether it's Johnson now yeah. aren't really hating the player they're just trying to find any excuse to have a go on the board leaving. for making yeah. the wrong yeah. signing, yeah. the cheap signing, the unambitious signing, whatever stupid adjective they want to use. So mm. with Johnson, they want to say, oh, look, Manchester City went and got Doku and we only got Johnson or something like that, <laughs> as if Doku would have ever chosen us over Manchester City. Like yeah. it, it's, yeah. it's really just the blind hatred of Enoch and Daniel Levy that drives the mass scapegoating, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. If we signed a prime Messi and he had a stuttering season, then the fans would still blame uh, the board and scapegoat <laughs> For not him. signing Cristiano uh, Ronaldo. <laughs> well, exactly. I just, I just think that our supporters, when things are going well, which they are, 
will just find whatever flimsy excuse they can to still have a go at the board because they've just decided that there's no redemption for them. There's no way back for them. The mistakes they've made in the past are a permanent branded stain on us, blah, blah, blah. Yep. Go f*** yourselves. Two points uh, from me. Uh, first Dave. one, the now quite rightly MBE, Howard Wilkinson, Leeds United legend, England mm. legend, once famously said, if you get 50% of your transfers right, then you're doing a good job. Now, I'm not sure if that necessarily is 100% accurate uh, in the modern day because I think there's a lot more pressure on because of the amount of money that's being spent. Well, we're but miles clear of that. I don't think that's a, exactly. I don't think that's a terrible benchmark because it is difficult to find the right players for a team. And you guys are doing a really good job in terms of, I think, in terms of identifying the players that are going to work well with Angie's style of football and I think that's a positive to be honest mm. I, I anticipate that to continue as long as there's a belief that Ange Postacoglu is a man for Spurs and at the moment he's given you no reason not to think that yeah the second point, which is much more important, out of the extensive research I did on the opponents, I didn't realise that they were actually playing at Tottenham this this week. So, remember everything I said about it being tough? It shouldn't be tough. You should win. So, you know, just to clarify, if you're at home, you got to win your home game. So, um, I do think it'll be a challenge and I do think they have things that can hurt you, but that's a home game you should be winning. Dave, I hate it when you predict us to win that confidently. It really makes me nervous. Yeah, I think he may be a criminal or whatever you want to call him. But I think if you make the cutoff point of when Paratici got involved with Spurs and look at the percentage of those transfers ever since that have been, at least if not successes, ones that are looking like they're on the way to being successes, like Richarlison, let's say, I think it's an overwhelming majority of good over bad, personally. Uh, one of those, of course, being Kulusevsky, who we've talked about a fair amount already. Elio, this is a stat you might enjoy, and this is my last stat, I promise you. Of all players in Europe's top five leagues this season so far, according to Opta Data, three players stand atop the list of those who have created the most open play chances in all of Europe. And those are Florian Witz of Leverkusen, Mohamed Salah of Liverpool, and Dejan Kulusevski, I suppose. So for those who are saying ship him out or he's rubbish or, you know, he should be benched, have a word of yourselves and have a look at that stat. Speaking of stats, actually, Elio, I think you had something approaching some stats because I think you made a really good point on Twitter and I wanted you to bring this up again in terms of comparing our form last year with the equivalent fixtures this year. So I don't know what our point total was after 24 games last year, which is what we're now on. But after 23 games last year, we had five points fewer than we did here. So what's our current points tally? 47, I think. So the 44 pre-Brighton, after 23 games last season, it was 39. Far more interesting for me, though, is that from the equivalent fixtures, when I say equivalent fixtures, Man U home last season, one point, Man United home this season, three points, yeah. but also replacing the relegated teams with their equivalent promoted teams. So the bottom side replaced with a playoff winner, the 18th place yeah. side replaced with first place from the championship, etc. We're actually 13 points up at the moment from equivalent okay. fixtures last season. Now, I'm not saying that we'll uphold that trajectory all season, but that's 13 points higher from the equivalent games last season. At this stage, equates to us getting about 20, 21 points more at the season's end, which would see us comfortably in the 80s and top three. Now, yeah. I don't actually expect that to happen. But if you look at where we've gained those 13 extra points, they've been in some really impressive fixtures away to Manchester City, where we lost last season and got a point this time. Liverpool last season uh, obviously wasn't a win. This season it was at home. Man United home last season wasn't. This season at home it was. Last season we got battered away to Arsenal. This season we drew away to Arsenal. So 
it's not just that we lost a few easy fixtures last year that we've redeemed by winning this season. Mm. We've actually picked them up in some really important matches. Newcastle home, another example. We know what happened last season with uh, <laughs> yeah. the Nick Pope show versus us taking them to the cleaners at home this time around. So, yeah, I think safe that's... to say we're, we're hopefully going to do better than Newcastle away in the respective fixture as well. <laughs> Let's hope. Well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I just think there's real cause for optimism there because we're two-thirds of the way through the season. We've had several key players out at the same time for roughly one of those two-thirds so far as well, uh, just under. So the smart money would say that we're going to finish the season strongly now with one game a week and uh, pretty fully fit squads. And there's reason to believe now that I think, like Dave said, comfortably in the 70s, comfortably fourth, if not better, based on what we've done. It would take a big turnaround of the trends both us and our competitors for position have produced so far this season for us to not get top four in my opinion I'm not going to take that to its natural extension and assume that we're going to win the league because I'm not going to do that to socks. but I will say that that is very encouraging and I think we need to remember hashtag could we the bar was set very low by last season so let's let's remember what we were aiming for from the beginning and not have our all jokes aside despite what I've been going on about for the last couple of months let's remember that the bar is not winning the league the bar is not coming second or third realistically it's just making an improvement and hopefully getting top four or five so yeah that's very very encouraging Guys, we are getting towards the end now. Is there anything you wanted to bring up? Any other points, silly or pointless? I have a tenuous ARB. Tenuous ARB. How many lives is Mauricio Pochettino going to get at Chelsea? Um, (laughs) So obviously, you're you're playing Wolves, who absolutely battered Chelsea a couple of weeks ago. Um, Chelsea, at that time of recording, are currently losing 1-0 at halftime away at Crystal Palace. And the next games... We call him that uh, Thunder Bastard, by the way. I haven't seen it, so I, I, I can't comment. It's, it sounds like it was quite, no. quite a goal. Well, let me walk you through it. Justice and Lama, <laughs> first you a, of all, tried story. This is the content we want. Kick, an acrobatic <laughs> scissor kick akin to Ginola when he scored the goal against you in the FA Cup. Interesting. But missed the ball completely. It was quite comical. Sure. But then went back and helped regain possession, charged forward it and absolutely leathered it. Ball still rising as it hit the back of the net and then bounced back out. I think Jefferson Leon is a player that we don't associate with such things as well, which by your definition is important. <laughs> yeah, boy, yeah, that's that's it. Important... You just wanted an excuse to remind Dave about Ginola scoring against him, didn't you? That okay, I'll was. watch it back. <laughs> Any excuse. Yeah, exactly. I'll just I'll 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 rewatch that, but I'll let you know. I'll I'll respond on Twitter earlier. But their next game is away at City. Their next game is the Carabao Cup final against Liverpool. And their next game is at home against Leeds in the FA Cup. Could we sack Poch? That is the question. And second, I guess the question is, do you guys care? Uh, probably not, but you did remind me of a tweet. <laughs> you reminded me of a tweet that I've just dug up from James Harris. It says, it's clear to me now that Pochettino and Kane were holding Human Son and Ben Davies back all along. <laughs> <laughs> Harry well, Kane, who of course is careful what you wish for, trophies eh? over there in Germany at the moment. Yeah, they were absolutely, absolutely played off the park by Leverkusen. It certainly that was, that were. Was, that was pretty damning. Yeah, it certainly was. I dared to ask our Twitter followers whether they would feel a little bit sorry for Harry Kane should he go the rest of the season and not win a trophy, having left us for Bayern Munich. Um, and unsurprisingly, a 73% majority said no. Um, a rather surprising <laughs> yeah. amount, 27% said yes. And there was a lot of abuse in the comments aimed at my direction for merely suggesting <laughs> that that was a possibility. Got called 
some names that I won't repeat, but welcome to Twitter. The one thing I wanted to add was to just check out my latest article that I've posted via Vavil. It's a pretty long one, so uh, make yourself a cup of tea and get comfy and read that one. It's all about Hyunmin Son and about how he's the best damn finisher on the planet and has been for a long time. And I include Harry Kane and Lionel Messi. So if you don't believe me, get in and look at those stats. Plenty of stats in there. And if you're not already convinced to read that, you might be interested to hear that I've managed to somehow make two Rocky Four references across the course of my <laughs> 3,000 plus words. So um, yeah, probably a reason I'm not a serious journalist, but nonetheless, I'm proud of it. And I hope you guys enjoy that. So go and have a look at that. It'll be our pinned tweet on our Twitter, which is at Plus Dave Podcast. So please follow us while you're at it, if you don't already. If you don't follow us by now, what are you doing go and follow us and while you're on it also send us a damn email once in a while because <laughs> we'd never get emails it's never gonna happen so, never gonna to happen. me just sometimes we're just sitting there sadly just sort of staring at our phones refreshing the email just to see if somebody wants to get in touch with us someone wants to send us a message join me in this endeavor have you yeah <laughs> I, 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 I have now it was just <laughs> you but now i'm sad and i need more friends so please get in touch from my us. new you year's resolution was for somebody else to write to me i don't know if you can have a new year's resolution <laughs> that's not dependent on something that you're consciously doing but <laughs> here we are my new year's resolution is supposed to win the league there you go <laughs> We've done it. I have done some canvassing of Spurs Twitter while I've been away. Run a couple of polls and I thought you'd be interested in the results. <laughs> and I'd love to know all your opinions on these things as well. Okay. The first one, baked beans. Happy to leave the last one in the tin if you can't get it out <laughs> or do you need to get every last bean? And that received yeah. 86% in favor of getting every last baked bean. So I thought that was quite interesting. And the other yeah. one was Lou Roll. Do you want the top leaf hanging at the back or the front? <laughs> uh, roll down, and thankfully we had a hundred percent take up on the front, the front. so we don't yeah. have a fan base full of psychopaths. Yeah, off, yeah. Aware. So <laughs> the first sign of a psychopath. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. So I would yeah. love to know what your thoughts are on baked beans and loo roll. I mean, clearly it's unanimous for the latter. I think the baked beans one, I'm definitely with the majority on that. I think it would bug me to, and, and it's not that I'm wasting a bean. It's more of a kind of obsessive thing. They would annoy me that that bean <laughs> was in there. He needs to fulfill his destiny. <laughs> Do you think Daniel Levy leaves any beans in his tins? Oh, I think he does. No, no, no. He doesn't he strike me as a beans out guy. All the sauce. <laughs> <laughs> I can't see him eating beans. I don't know why. <laughs> what about you? More of, a, more of a couscous and caviar on toast. <laughs> there used to be a podcast over here. Is it that much of a hassle to scoop out the bean? Like we're talking as if it is like climbing Everest, like just use the fork or whatever. So yeah, I, I don't even see it as a discussion. Use the fork. <laughs> see, I don't think you should use cutlery. I think that's admitting failure. I think you need to just oh, you think you okay. put the tin over the pan and just bash it out. Jesus Christ, God, that's, that's, very how, that's how Romero has his beans. <laughs> like a monkey with a rock on a coconut. <laughs> so he just smashes the can open on one of his buddies. <laughs> is this a, a so we use the I Blue <laughs> yep. roll at the front. And yeah, yeah, 100%. One, don't waste food. Two, don't be a psycho. Oh, come on obviously it's, it's hanging forward where are you guys on pineapple on pizza because oh, Jesus, I've always stop. loved it but I've, I've, I've never understood why specifically it was so hated I can understand people not liking yeah, I don't it, mind it. Just I have an opinion is... on this I think some people like to base their entire personality on right. being aggressively against pineapple on pizza like they are somehow more authentic and respectful of Italian culture whereas I imagine most Italians probably don't actually care as much as we're led to believe I mean Italians That's don't put any opinion. toppings on pizza pineapple on pizza is almost like Brennan Johnson. It's just a scapegoat for people to be loud and angry when they don't actually care that much. <laughs> At the Domino's hierarchy. Brennan Johnson is a pineapple. There you go. Brennan Johnson is a pineapple. And I think that might just be the episode title and probably a good point to leave it.
bit. Guys, thank you so much for joining. It's great to have you all back. That went a little bit off the rails at the end, as it often tends to do, but we'll be back <laughs> next week. Well, we don't know what we're going to be talking about next week because we're going to have a week off, aren't we? Because we don't have a game the following week. We'll obviously be reviewing the Wolves game, but we'll have to come up with something interesting to look ahead and maybe some kind of feature. We might just spend the whole time talking about Lou Roll, Baked Beans, and Let's do a Leeds pod. We could do a Leeds pod. We could do a Leeds pod. If you decide to email us, maybe you can show us what we're actually going to talk about in our next episode besides reviewing the Wolves game, which will hopefully be another win for Spurs and hopefully one that is a little bit more comfortable than 95th minute Brennan Johnson tap-in. So we'll have as many of you back for then as possible. These guys will be back. I'll be back and we look forward to having you once again. Until then, stay classy Spurs fans. We'll see you next week. Here's Lucas Moura. Oh, they've done it!